0: I'm Caleb Benjamin, intern at Lawfare, with an episode from the Lawfare Archive for December 2nd, 2023. Over the past couple of weeks, the board of OpenAI ousted its CEO, Sam Altman, on the apparent grounds that he was not taking AI safety concerns seriously enough, only to rehire him after the vast majority of the organization's employees threatened to resign. This week, Eugenio Lostry, Alan Rosenstein, and Chinmayi Sharma unpacked the chaos and its implications in an article on Lawfare. For today's Archive episode, I picked an episode from September 25th, 2018, in which Benjamin Wittes sat down with Jim Baker to discuss how to understand AI as an intelligence asset, how we might protect this valuable asset against a range of threats from hostile foreign actors, and how we can protect ourselves against the threat of AI in the hands of adversaries.
1: and this is the Lawfare Podcast, September 25th, 2018. The U.S. has become the global leader in both defense and private sector artificial intelligence. Inevitably, this has led to an environment in which adversary and ally governments alike may seek to identify and steal AI information. In other words, AI has become intelligence, and those who work in AI have become potential sources and assets. And with intelligence comes counterintelligence. Jim Baker, a visiting fellow at the Brookings Institution and former FBI general counsel, is partway through a series of essays for Lawfare on the links between counterintelligence and AI. Two parts of the series have already been published on our website. On Monday, Jim sat down with Ben Wittes to discuss his work on the subject. They talked about how to understand AI as an intelligence asset how we might protect this valuable asset against a range of threats from hostile foreign actors, and how we might protect ourselves against the threat of AI in the hands of adversaries. It's the Lawfare Podcast, Episode 350, Jim Baker on AI and counterintelligence.
0: Let's start with the relationship between the two subjects at hand. Everybody wants to talk about AI why think about AI in the context of counterintelligence?
2: Because if AI is really what people say it is and has the potential to be what people say it might have, then as a nation, we should really worry about protecting it. And at the end of the day, counterintelligence is protective in nature. It's, it's intended to protect the people, the assets, the interests of the United States or any other country that you're trying to defend through counterintelligence means there are so many threats, there are so many vulnerabilities, there are so many assets that you really have to try to prioritize them. And what I've been worried about is that I think I'm concerned that folks who worry about these kind of things from a counterintelligence perspective don't really have a grasp yet of what artificial intelligence is. And I'm still struggling to try to figure out exactly what the heck it is and what it really can do. Um, but I'm concerned that folks responsible in this area you know, don't have enough of an understanding of what needs to be done to protect the AI assets of the country, uh, in part because I think it's just a challenging field to get your head around and it's changing constantly and it's hard to figure out.
0: And is it fair to say that the the obverse of that is also true, that people who are in the AI field don't understand the counterintelligence risks that they are subject to and that, that the technologies that they are developing are subject to?
2: I think it's mixed. I think some people understand it. I think some people are worried about it. Uh, you know, Look, the, the, the technology field, the folks in the technology industry are very focused on protecting their trade secrets and protecting their interests mainly from competitors but from outside threats from cyber threats and and so on so there most people have some general awareness of the need to protect what's important and some are very very good and very very diligent at it what concerns me I guess is that AI is the the number of people involved in some type of thing that they're calling AI and we can put to talk about that if you want in terms of like whether it is or it really is or it is not but anyway a number of folks are getting into this area and i think not everyone does have a sufficient understanding of the of the threat and if ai is all that it's cracked up to be if it really is, if it really does have the potential that some people think it does then basically the bad guys are really going to want it because the United States is a leader in artificial intelligence and so we're we're going to have a lot of the the assets the talent the the technology and the human talent to, to really make full use of AI and bad guys are going to go after that and i think they're going to go after that in a very aggressive way and, and and i assume we'll talk about it but there you know there's a flip side of this too which is trying to defend against the adversary's use of AI against us and i, I assume we'll talk about that at some point here
0: Right. So there's a lot of pieces of there and let's let's now unpack them in sequence. So you've alluded to this, but why is AI different from any other set of technologies that foreign adversary actors may want to steal or compromise or uh, get a head start by uh, acquiring?
2: Well, with respect to some things, the, there's some – Assets of the nation that we do a a very good job of trying to to protect. There's other aspects of it that we don't, some critical infrastructure things, uh, elements that we have not done a good job of protecting from a cybersecurity, counterintelligence perspective. But AI, look, I mean, I think it's just, it's hard, at least I'm speaking for me. It is hard to get your mind around what AI really is. It's hard to really understand what it can do. There are a lot of people talking about the potential for it, but um, I, I just I think that it is. It's hard to figure out what exactly it means. If somebody talks about, for example, a nuclear weapons design, you can understand what that is. You can understand the need to protect it, and you can understand how bad guys will want to try to steal it. If you talk about military plans to invade whatever or to defend a certain space. If you talk about a, some other type of weapon system on a, on a Navy ship or on an aircraft, you can get your mind around what that is. We're used to talking about that, and we can f- sort of figure out, I think if you put your mind to it, how to defend it and how bad guys are likely to try to steal it. The thing about artificial intelligence, I, I believe, is that for many people in the business of either producing it or of protecting it, it's still pretty novel, and it's, and it's changing all the time, and it's easy to, I think, misconceptualize what it is, what it constitutes. And what I mean by that is I th- I think of AI not just in isolation in terms of a computer program, let's say, but I think of AI systems that are integrated. It's computer programming. It's the people... Well, it's the people that do the programming. It's the people that develop it. So the people are assets that need to be protected and, and thought about. Then you have the direct algorithms and programming that's written, but all of that exists on computers and uh, oftentimes very advanced computers. Those computers process, for example, in some situations, lots of data and they do it very fast. And so the data is something that you have to protect. And then Depending on the application, if you think about an autonomous vehicle of some sort, a drone or a car or something like that, then you have sensor technology and uh, robotics technology. And all of that is pretty complicated. But if you're trying to protect against what adversaries are doing, you need to think about all of that as a systematic whole. And that level of complexity, that level of diversity of systems, I think, makes it harder to think about well, what do I need to defend? How do I how how do I think about this? How do I protect this? And it gives there, there's just a lot of vectors through which the bad guys can try to do harm, either by stealing something or corrupting something, introducing bad data or bad uh, code into a system like that, and messing with our artificial intelligence systems.
0: So how is this different from the general cybersecurity problem? I mean, you've described a lot of vectors of attack, but a lot of that is sort of generically true of cybersecurity. When you think of the AI counterintelligence problem, how does it differ from the broader problem of, you know, countries that want to bribe our people, steal our stuff, you know, attack our critical infrastructure?
2: Right, so I mean, I, I'm thinking of this as a counterintelligence problem, not just a cybersecurity problem, but cybersecurity is part of this issue and okay, part, of, so, part but, of this problem. So, but, but
0: break that down. What makes what makes it different from the from either the broader or broader or narrow cybersecurity set of problems?
2: Because, as you alluded to, for example, if you are in the business of if you have ai as part of your business you're doing something that we will call ai that therefore attracts interests of threat actors of adversaries they're going to be interested if you if you proclaim yourself as a company let's say and you're in the ai business in some way then one vector to compromise what it is that you have is through cybersecurity but there are other vectors too and i again i go back to the sort of the people The people who know how to do this are few in number, uh, very valuable. They command high salaries if they can actually effectively work on AI. And so a good intelligence official on the other side is going to focus on the people and try to understand who's involved in this work, what do they do, and then let's focus on them and try to exploit them in some fashion, either wittingly or unwittingly. In addition, they, I would expect, try, would try to introduce employees into the company under some false identification uh, of some sort, right? That They would try to get them to trans- transform what's happening from an external threat to an internal threat and have that internal threat feed the information back out to them. So that's just another avenue. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to say. And then in addition, there would be ways, I would think, to... As I understand it, as I'm learning about this, as I'm, I'm digging into it, it's not just all about stealing the AI technology. You can, if you're an adversary, achieve your objective by compromising in some way the system. You can compromise, especially the data that is fed into the system in, in some way. You can manipulate it. You can, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say, just compromise it uh, generally, and that can distort the uh, the AI results, it can make the AI system that the US or one of our allies is trying to develop, it can make it less effective to a significant degree. And then it won't work when we really need it to, especially if you start to think about military applications of this.
0: All right. So you alluded earlier to if AI is kind of all that we think it may be. And throughout all this, the subsequent conversation, there's this premise in everything that you're saying that these are particularly valuable assets. As you understand it, what is it about AI systems that make them sort of particularly vulnerable or attractive as targets? Why should we care more about that than, for example, the president is obsessed with steel, right? And, you know, a kind of like basic manufacturing economy doesn't seem that worried about AI systems. Like, why should we be focused on you know the integrity of this somewhat hypothetical set of fields rather than all the other areas of life that that foreign actors may uh, you know get a gleam in their eye about
2: that question is <laughs> uh, is complicated to answer and i'm trying to think about it on a number of different levels but let me start i guess here as I understand it, what people are thinking who are steeped in, in AI and its applications is that it has the potential to be highly transformative with respect to the world in many dimensions, economically especially, but uh, also on the battlefield militarily uh, with information, intelligence. Let me back up. So one of the things that I've written about is that it's – a false dichotomy to think that the digital world is separate from the real world, that the two are inextricably intertwined nowadays, and that digital is real. What's, what is digital is actually real. And so the digital world, at least to my mind, to a significant degree is the manner through which we control the rest of the real world. And so uh, just to go with your example of steel factories. Yes, steel is still critically important. Steel is used in many, many important products. But how do you control steel uh, factories nowadays? How do you make sure that you have the right supplies uh, at the steel factory when you need them? How do you ship the steel out? All of that is going to have a significant digital element to it. The digital side of the world produces lots of data that can be analyzed understood, and understood to enable people to understand what's happening, predict what's happening, and manipulate what's happening to some degree in the real world. AI helps with all of that. AI helps deal with large volumes of data that human beings have a hard time understanding, processing, analyzing, storing, and so on. It helps us understand what's happening in the world and enables us to take actions in the real world uh, as a result of what we've learned potentially from from the AI. What I'm trying to say is the digital world and the real world are, world are linked. The digital world increasingly, I think, is going to be influenced, potentially controlled by what we are able to do with AI, and how we think about it, and how we extract meaning from all the digital information that's being produced.
0: And so I'm, t- I'm still trying to connect that to the desire of a foreign intelligence actor what does all of that from a you know from a compromising systems you know if you're sitting in the fsb or or if you're uh you know the chinese or or even a, a friendly government who you know may wanna spy on us what are your strategic objectives in acquiring and compromising systems in in Uh, That that are the sort of things that as counterintelligence professionals, one would be aiming to prevent them from doing.
2: So I think they're going to be thinking about threats to them and opportunities for them. And the threat I think I see is that they – I would imagine that they would be quite worried about the competitive advantage that the United States and some of our allies have in this area, that we're leaders in this area and they're not. I mean, generally speaking, right, the Chinese are investing a huge amount of effort in this, and they may become the leader they want. They've stated that they want to be the leader in this uh, in the short term. And so I think they understand completely what they're doing. But they, I would think, would be worried that they might not be that the U.S. would move ahead and that the U.S. being the dynamic society that we are, we're going to figure out ways to use this new technology to help our economy, to help our military, to help our intelligence officials do a better job in terms of dealing with them. So I would think that they would be quite worried about what the United States is gonna do with all of these AI assets. So I would think that therefore they would want to, number one, try to steal as much of that as they can so that they can advantage their own companies and their own organizations. So they wanna literally just steal it from us and then figure out how to use it themselves. I would think they would want to compromise what it is that we have in some way to make it less effective, either by compromising the code, compromising the people to get them to work less effectively, or compromising the data that feeds into the AI systems that from which they learn, uh, and then they would you know, thereby come up with bad results and, and so on, to try to f- compromise the robotic systems, the sensor systems in some way, or to steal that technology. But th- I, th- I would think that they would be quite worried about what we're doing, and therefore, look for any way possible to steal uh, or thwart our ability to use it effectively.
0: And so, when you say they both uh, threat and opportunity, that's the threat side. Is the opportunity side merely the opportunity to do stuff that would prevent the threat, or is there, or is there an affirmative opportunity side?
2: Well, a couple different things. I mean, I think at the outset, they would look at what we're doing in the AI area as a threat and then look for, seek out opportunities because of the way we are as a society. They would look for opportunities to thwart us. That's us on one on the one hand. On the other hand, to the extent that they are able to develop effective AI systems themselves or steal it from us, then... Yeah, I think they're going to look for ways to use AI to their advantage to address or to deal with all the data that's out there that they're stealing through these, you know, through cybersecurity vectors or lack of cybersecurity vectors, the the amount of data data that uh, that they steal about us all the time. Not just our intellectual property. I'm talking about the actual data about us that they try to steal. For example, the uh, you know, all the information that was stolen through the OPM hack by whomever stole that. They have a lot of data about a lot of a lot of people in the government. So and let so,
0: let let's break that down. Okay, you steal millions of. Uh, documents from OPM about every government employee with a security clearance. You got to process it, right? It's that data sitting on a hard drive somewhere is not very useful. The better your data processing, i.e. the better your AI, the more you can do with the material you steal. Is that fair?
2: That's that's the exactly the point. Data like that, <clears throat> other data from other, any other organization that's out there that has personally identifiable information about people, that that is going to be valuable to feed the AI systems of adversaries. And then they can use that to understand, predict, and manipulate our behavior. So that's, that, that's how I think they would affirmatively use it against us to anticipate what we're doing, feed us information to try to manipulate what we're doing, uh, and then reap the reap the benefits of that.
1: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
2: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parents plan, or even missed open enrollment J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
0: Hey, Lawfare listeners, Ben Wittes here. I want to tell you about the first time I got and enter code LAWFARE20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash LAWFARE20, code LAWFARE20. So AI covers a huge amount of ground. In a very limited purpose sense, it's can you beat Gary Kasparov at chess, right? Which computers have known how to do, you know, since I was in college. At a, more profound level, you know, people talk about a degree of processing speed and pace of of innovation that you're really talking about, you know, something like general purpose human level or greater level general intelligence. I assume that the degree of counterintelligence interest is to some degree calibrated to how generalizable the AI function is, right? That that if we're talking about a, an AI that – or a, a, a set of AI ideas and principles and strategies that can do certain discrete things very well, that's one level of problem. But if you're talking about really kind of high-end, game-changing – data processing that kind of approaches human thought. You're really talking about a totally different level of problem in terms of the amount of energy that countries will exert to be the market leader or or leader in, in that space. Is that fair?
2: I think so. Look, it's I, again, I go back to what I said earlier. It's kind of hard. And keep in mind, I'm a Lawyer and a policy guy, and so and I'm not a technologist, I'm not a computer scientist, I'm not a mathematician, I'm not an engineer, I'm not all that stuff, and so I find it challenging to really grasp and understand what it is we're talking about here. But based on what I've read and some of the feedback I've gotten from some of the of the posts that I have put out, uh, a, a couple things. It's hard to really describe what AI is, and I put out in a one of the initial posts this phrase that AI is a machine that thinks, and that. Is probably what AI, well, that that is potentially, not probably, potentially what AI could be in the future sometime. But I think the way to think about it is that it's an evolving field that has been in existence for a while, that has different, it's gone through different periods of time. DARPA recently put out some, uh, they have a construct of three waves of AI, which I can talk about in a second but it's a it's a field like any other technological field that is progressing over time and in some instances yes what you say is, is is right there's there's certain times when ai has been used well a program has been used whether it's actually artificial and actually intelligence right it may not be either one of those but it's a system that people developed that was able to do one thing let's say play chess really, really well, because it could play a lot of different games against itself to a degree that no human ever could in, during their lifetime, right? So it has that processing type of power and can, and can do that. But that's a very narrow application of AI, and that is hard to do. A lot of work went into that kind of thing, a lot of trial and error. And that it's important, but it's not necessarily transferable to other areas. More recently, we're in a phase now where we're going through uh, what DARPA talks about statistical learning, you might think about machine learning, where machines that are using algorithms developed by people are taking in data, assessing it, analyzing it, and trying to learn from it in some statistically valid way. And so that's sort of where we are now. That's very powerful. It transfers more to different areas. It's it's more transferable than the sort of the chess example, again, as I understand it. And the question is, well, what comes next? And how far can the field progress and how quickly? And can it move more to an area, and this is what, what DARPA is talking about, what they're uh, putting money behind right now, is to try to figure out if there's ways for more contextual type of understanding by the system that can not replace human beings necessarily, but augment significantly what, we, what we're doing and help us make difficult decisions. And sort of that's the the next wave, perhaps, of of where this is going. But eventually, right, I mean, the question or a question that's been asked many times is whether you could have some type of artificial system gain some level of intelligence, whatever that means, that would be comparable to a human being or at some point surpass what a human being could do. And- Whether those things are possible or not, a lot of people don't think they are possible or wouldn't be possible for many, many years. The prospect, at least it seems to me, that the prospect that they might come into existence is something that's going to make adversaries really, really nervous and really, really aggressive in trying to steal, compromise, impact AI systems in the way we talked about a few minutes ago.
0: All right. So with all of that as giant prologue, how would you describe the fundamental counterintelligence challenge in AI? I mean, you've described it's a whole field. It's a gazillion companies that are basically not operating in the classified sector. I mean, some of them are, I suppose, but your average person who's working in an, in in AI is not uh an intelligence professional by any means. You've described highly sought-after algorithms, data, humans, knowledge, and it's dispersed across a a gazillion companies, universities, government agencies in some instances – Uh, that are not exactly well positioned to protect either the people that are high value and foreign intelligence agencies are really good at corrupting people or sometimes not corrupting them, just, you know, flying them to give a talk somewhere and stealing their stuff. So you've described what seems to me like a basically hopeless challenge. And I'm, I'm, Let's start with, is it as daunting as all of that? Or is there reason to say, well, wait a minute, the problem's a little bit more constrained than that?
2: It's a daunting problem. I don't think it's hopeless, um, but I don't think it is very well... Cons- I don't think it's constrained. I guess I'm worried about it not being constrained. I think it is a, I think it is a pretty, pretty big problem to tackle. And so in the first instance, I guess officials who have to deal with this problem and who should be thinking about this need to just simply, number one, understand what AI is and what we're talking about, like just what does it mean, and to gain some sufficient level of that. Number two, once you have some understanding of that, and it's going it's to be uh, intertwined with the, with the second part, then you have to go out and figure out whats it, what it is that you need to protect. Like who's doing what and where are they? Like what companies are actually working on this stuff? Where are they located? How
0: how many companies here are we talking about? I have
2: no idea. I literally have no idea. I literally have no idea. But I think that it's attractive and I think a lot of companies are going to be trying to figure out how to make use of it, especially as their competitors do so. And the competitors are, I think, going to gain some significant... Look, the, the way it seems, the people I talk to, the economists that I've... I've read about, or I've read uh, their work and and so on. People analyze the workforce and that kind of thing. If you can use AI effectively, you're going to be able to significantly cut your costs, which means jobs will will disappear. That's what that means for human beings. The jobs are going to disappear, so there's a human cost to this. Um, so that's one thing. And then you'll be able to more effectively target. For example, your advertising and your sales, and you're probably going to have more profits. And so I think people are going to try to do this, even if they don't really get it right now, they're going to be forced into it by their competitors, I would would assess. So in any event, I don't know how big the universe is of people working on this. There's, you know, the US has an incredibly dynamic economic sector, and people are very creative, and they're going to be trying to, uh, they're going to be entrepreneurial and Try to use this material or this uh, these uh, types of systems wherever they possibly can. So anyway, so getting your I, I don't think it's an easy problem to get your head around who's actually working on this stuff. In part because companies are going to want to keep this secret, also a secret in the sense that they're not going to really want their competitors to know what they're doing. And teams of people developing some type of AI uh, product that they want to market, or internal companies or companies that are developing AI internally or using it internally, I don't think they're going to want to necessarily advertise that all the time. Certainly, there are companies out there doing that and explaining how they're using it and, and, and making everybody not, making everybody aware of it. But uh, I think it's a hard thing to get your hands around that which it is you need to protect. But then you got to protect it I and mean, you got to go out and be pre- proactive with these companies and to develop those relationships. Governmental entities like the FBI are going to have to go out and develop those relationships proactively and build partnerships in some way that's effective.
0: So if you could identify one, two, or three things that you would have to do, I mean, in any of these broad-based distributed counterintelligence challenges, uh, I'm thinking about the defense contractors, for example, you have to start by identifying your priorities, right? You can't protect – everything about Lockheed Martin, right? You can't protect everything about Raytheon. So you're not protecting their logo. You're not protecting their website. You're protecting their classified material, right? What are the aspects here that are high priority to protect? And you would say, okay, if we can identify and protect the following things, we'll make a big difference.
2: So I, I'll, I'll answer that, but I would put a big caveat at the start, which is I would really not want to be overconfident in my ability to answer that question effectively, because I think this is such a dynamic area that it's hard to predict what is really going to be transformative in the next couple of years. So having said that, yes, I mean, I think you could start with the military applications of ai systems and again the system so it's not only the programming it's everything else that goes along with that the sensing the robotics and all that stuff and the high high speed computing systems that are going to make some i think significant advances over the next couple of years as i understand it so i would be worried about that i would be worried about the critical infrastructure of the united states and thinking about applications of ai that might go into that especially especially haven't really touched on this the use of AI in the cybersecurity domain, or in the cyber domain, I guess is a better way to say it, where adversaries are using AI to more effectively find and exploit vulnerabilities in systems. And just they can just do it faster. They can do it better. Now, AI can also be used to thwart that kind of thing. So there's going to be a bit of a, ba- it seems to me, there's going to be a bit of a battle in the cyber domain with these AI systems kind of fighting each other to protect the systems and to and to attack them. So there's that. And then I think, you know, it's hard to tell, but I think autonomous vehicles, whether they're on the ground, in the air, in the sea, I think that technology, it's tough to do, as I understand it. Those are hard things. Those are hard systems to actually build and uh, make effective. But that, to me, seems to be a... I don't know I guess I would call it maybe a leap ahead type of technology that is hard for me to predict how transformative it will be but I think it will be uh, in all those different domains if it can be brought uh, into widespread use. So that's th- those are the kind of the, off the top of my head three things that I would worry about but again I just I'm quite worried that it's hard to understand get your head around all this especially when you talk about the potential for significant economic dislocation people losing their jobs Uh, in a variety of different ways and perhaps very quickly is what a lot of people who sort of, again, focus on the economic implications of this. And I don't know what that means for societies just generally. I think it'll be transformative though.
0: You know, you've been out of government now for six months. How on this is the US intelligence community? I mean, is this something that, you know? counterintelligence people sit around and scratch their heads and say, we got a big problem in this area? Or is this something that you kind of came out of government and said, you know, people aren't talking about this enough and we need to sort of do some of the groundwork because I have this sense that this is a bigger deal than it's, than it's uh, being given credit for?
2: So I don't want to get into big trouble through this podcast, so I'll be careful. <laughs> Have a about, little trouble? <laughs> no, I don't want to get into any kind of trouble. So I'll be careful how I answer that. And I think I'll just go by the public, the information that's available uh, available publicly. I mean, look, I think from the, uh, from the public information, the Department of Defense is all over AI. I mean, it, it's clear. They are quite focused on it. They're quite, I think, aggressive in thinking about how it can be used in the military environment, but also in a way that's consistent with longstanding DOD policy that the United States is going to adhere to the uh, laws of armed conflict and that kind of thing, right? I think so. I think it strikes me that DOD is trying to do this in a in an aggressive but thoughtful way. That's my impression. It's a little bit harder to unpack from the public record what exactly the intelligence community is doing. So, I can't really comment on that. But um, I am, I guess I, I would just say I'm thinking about these issues and I'm writing about this stuff because I do think it has to be a priority. And, you know, we're still in a post 9 11 world, and the FBI and other government agencies are rightly focused on terrorism. It's, terrorism hasn't gone away, it's something we should be worried about. But as a result, sometimes counterintelligence takes a back seat. To counterterrorism. And okay, fine. I get that. I understand that. I don't think that's necessarily the right choice all the time. And what I'm trying to say is that from a counterintelligence perspective, from a national security perspective, we need to pay attention to what's going on in the AI world. And we need to think deeply about the threats because they're quite significant. They're potentially quite significant. And it is worth investing the time, effort, energy, money to make sure that we're doing what we need to do to protect those assets.
0: I want to come back one more time to the parameters of the problem before we wrap up. You've described at least two and maybe three or four at one level separate, but at another level interlocking problems. And I want to try to both aggregate and disaggregate them. On the one hand, you described – you know, the U.S. being a leader in this area, that presenting threats to other countries, driving threat perception in other countries, and so them trying, seeing opportunities and trying to deprive the U.S. of the leadership role by stealing assets or, you know, busting systems or whatever. On the other hand, you also described AI applications being used against US interests. For example, China using AI driven processing systems to go through uh, stolen OPM data, right? And um, well, I didn't
2: say I knew who had stolen the OPM data, but just whoever did could use it in that way let it, with ai let us that say
0: that just... it, it has been publicly reported that china was behind the opm hack and whoever stole it given that it is large and and uh, a large data set would want to go through it as efficiently as possible is that
2: fair whoever did it yes i'm not confirming or denying anything in um, that regard
0: so i guess i'm trying to figure out how much of the problem here is an arms race we want it before other people get it. And we want to protect that of it, which we have. And how much of it is, you know, more like the sort of classic cybersecurity problem where, you know, or or, or IP problem where, you know, we're a market leader, we create, uh, and then countries that are not as productive in the IP generation department, steal the stuff. And so it's simply uh, more simply a problem of protecting the assets and the the intellectual property that you create. Is it fundamentally more like the IP problem or is it fundamentally more of an arms race problem or both?
2: That's a challenging question to answer. It's probably both at some levels, but it is It's probably more like the—at least I'm thinking about it right now. I think it's more like the—well, it has elements of both. It's more like the IP problem in in this, to me at least, off the top of my head. The arms race model, if you will, presumes that both sides can have the resources to escalate, that they have the technology and the economic resources to build complicated weapon systems in larger and larger amounts. That's how I would think about that. Here, again, based on what I've heard, based on the folks that I've talked to, the things that I've read, there's not that many countries that actually can do this. It's limited. It's probably the U.S. and its allies, and, and not all of those allies can, can probably do this. It's China, and then the European Union, to some degree, probably lesser than those two, and then, and then it drops to some degree. And I'm not sure how far it drops. But so, therefore, I don't think every other country is going to be able to, on their own, keep up in some types of some type of arms race scenario. So, therefore, they're probably going to want to exploit it, – it, so it'll be an asymmetric challenge in that sense, right, where countries that could not produce this on their own in any way, shape, or form are going to try to steal or compromise – steal our – our system steal our technology, steal our intellectual property in the AI area, or compromise it in some way because they can't. They cannot simply do it on their own. So that's that's how I would think about that problem.
0: One of the things you talk about in your posts is the difference between explainable AI and what you call ethical AI, and this is a distinction that I won't even try to flesh out here, but. That strikes me as important in this larger conversation because we're reading all these stories about the way different countries deploy surveillance technologies and and also the way different countries uh, therefore could be expected to use AI technologies in interactions with citizens once they have, have access to these technologies. Uh, and so I'm I'm just interested for your reflections on that. Is there, you know, in a world in which uh, China is assigning social credit scores to people based on their compliance with rules and we are afraid of making adverse judgments about people's credit scores based on – you know, behavioral patterns that may correlate with, say, race or ethnicity or, or whatever. I'm, and I'm not advocating that we not be concerned about that. You know, you are describing a very asymmetric mode of deployment of these possible technologies. And I'm just curious how that interacts with the counterintelligence concerns that you have about the technologies.
2: So I'm working on a supple, another piece that that addresses this in in much more detail. But basically, explainable AI is basically that it's you can explain what's going on. That that somebody, a person, or the system itself can explain in a way that a human being can understand why the system did what it did. That's pretty much what explainable AI is. Ethical AI, to my mind, just means not just mean. It's really important, but it means that the AI system is not biased in some unacceptable way, for example, based on race, gender, ethnicity, something like that. Systems can be biased intentionally or unintentionally. And in this area, in the United States, we're probably talking about unintentional bias that could come from the programmers themselves, or more likely comes from the data that is fed to a system, for example, and the data itself is biased in some way that people don't really understand. They didn't perceive it. So those are the dangers there. There's a couple of things that I'm I'm worried about in this area. One is I I do worry about if in the United States and in other democratic countries, I, I think we will want to insist on explainable AI and ethical AI, not some type of black box AI that nobody can really understand or explain. Right. I just don't think for a lot of societal reasons that we could have a long conversation about, we don't want that kind of AI. So we, we don't want it for several reasons. We don't want it because it could produce injustice, and that would be obviously bad, but also could be a big waste of money because the thing doesn't actually do, if you can't explain what it's doing, it may not do what you're paying for. And so then it's just a waste of money, and to my mind, I think of it as junk AI, that, that just It's not really AI. It's just kind of a system that was sold to somebody with some type of expectation that it would work in a real operational environment, and it doesn't. And it's a waste of scarce resources, or it sends, let's say, counterintelligence officials or counterterrorism officials chasing the wrong person, which is, again, a waste of resources and will result in some type of injustice to that person having the government come down with the full weight of its investigative authorities on somebody's head, or... Uh, And improperly so, or scooping up data about lots of people uh, that it shouldn't have and that it shouldn't be analyzing and it shouldn't be storing and, and so on. So, I'm worried about it quite a bit in that way. And then I'm worried about the adversaries who may not care about wasting money and they may not care about the injustices that might result from the use of unethical AI. They might just get a good result in certain circumstances and they like it and so they go ahead and use it. And I'm a bit concerned that. That might work in some instances, and that might put pressure on us in a crisis to just adopt some type of system, to just accept some unexplainable uh, and unethical AI, or you can't tell whether it's ethical or not. And so I think it's at least, I, I guess I'm putting this on the on the people's radar screens or trying to, to just say that pressure is going to be there at some point. Let's just figure out how to deal with it. Like, let's plan for it and have some type of, give some type of thought to that. For the folks who are, there's a lot of people thinking about the implications of ethical AI and explainable AI. So this is just one more thing I would add to their list of issues that they should think about. At some point in time, people will be pressured to use this if in fact they do how do we think about that? What oversight mechanisms do we have in place and how do we deal with that?
0: It's a lot to chew on. Uh, Jim Baker, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Thanks this week to Jim Baker for coming on the show. Please take a second to share the Lawfare Podcast and give us a rating and review wherever you found us. The podcast is edited by Jen Patia Howell and our music is performed by Sophia Yan. And as always, thanks for listening.